This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Austin Life Church. My name is Mike Mobley. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you can immediately tell, I do not have an amazing mustache like Corey Johnson did last week. We decided to give him a little bit of time off, give him the week off, give him a chance to clean himself up, shave a little bit, and then he'll be back by next week. So no worries there. Uh, We've been in a series over the past few weeks called Knowing God because we believe in this season of time the best thing for every single one of us is to have a greater understanding of who God is. And that way we would actually grow in our desire for Him and Him alone. And then out of our obedience towards Him, it would, be, it would spill over and be contagious where we'd be able to love others well. Where we'd be able to truly lead people to life in Jesus. A handful of years ago, uh, while I was on staff at 121 Community Church up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, I was teaching a membership class, and at the very end, I had a guy come up to me. you got to imagine, this is at the very end, about 60 seconds before we're all outside of the building. And he goes, hey, you know, that that was a great class. You know, learned a lot about the church. I just have a quick question, if you don't mind kind of answering this for me. It would help me a lot in my walk with the Lord. And I was like, yeah, sure, what is that? And he said, what is the Trinity? And we kind of stood there. I feel like we stood there for like five minutes of just silence. Because in my head, I was thinking, well, I have about 60 seconds to answer this guy and to tell him every single thing he needs to know about the Trinity. I put a little extra pressure on my shoulders at that, point, at that moment. I actually can't still remember what I said to this day. But by the time I was done, I said, hey, does any of that make sense to you? And he said, yeah, you know what? It makes perfect and complete sense. And somehow I was thinking, okay, well, there we go. Have a great day. I guess that worked out well. And I was thinking, woo, what a large and complicated topic that was. And I must just got lucky. Years later, kind of catching up to now, I realize this topic doesn't have to be that hard of a conversation. It can be much simpler than we think. And there's quite a bit in the Bible about it. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the Trinity. Now, before you're tempted to connect the dots yourself or draw your own conclusions or maybe even tune out and think, oh, this is one of those theological kind of boring topics or I'm never really going to be able to figure it out, so it doesn't really matter anyway. Let me encourage you. Okay, hold, hold on. Stay with me here this morning. Let's both see just how critical the Trinity is And just how incredible God is because of the Trinity. There's going to be two resources I'll be referring to uh, quite often uh, during the message this morning. I'd highly recommend it. One is uh, Systematic Theology by Wayne Grudem. As you can see, it's a light read. It's just 1,200 pages. I mean, you can knock this out pretty quickly in about a decade. Um, That is the big version. The good news is there is a medium version called Bible Doctrine. And then there is a small version called Christian Beliefs. We'll have links to all these in the worship guide uh, this week as well. So you have that, and then a book that I would say is probably the top book I've read in the past couple of years now. And I wouldn't have guessed it, uh, even from the title, which is probably bad because I'm talking about the Trinity. And this is called Delighting in the Trinity by Michael Reeves. 
There is, this talks about the Trinity in ways that I think everyone can understand, really common language, has some church history and other aspects of God, and it's a little over 100 pages. So this, this book is incredible uh, right here. So everything will be in the worship guide, uh, what we talk about today, the notes, and links to those books. And so I'm going to go over quite a bit of references today as well. And so I just want you to know that'll be there uh, for you to reference uh, this week in your own walk with the Lord, with your community group, or with your discipleship group. So what exactly is the Trinity, right? What comes to mind for you when you think about the Trinity? Well, well, the Trinity is God, and God is the Trinity. Okay, so let me explain. The God of the Bible is not just a singular God, and He never has been. For all eternity before the creation of the world and what will be for the future, God's never been singular. He's always been a triune God. Simply put, one of the ways Grudem would reference this is three quick statements here. God is three persons. Each person is fully God, and there is one God. Okay, God is three persons. Each person is fully God, and there is one God. That is the God of the Bible. It's very important to define him that way because it sets him apart from every other belief and type of God out there, which we'll talk about in just a minute. So I think in a conversation like this, what can help is to define a little bit more of, okay, God is three persons. Each person is fully God. There is one God. Who are the three persons? Let's talk about and just kind of quickly define the three persons within the Trinity. So first we have the Father. We see God the Father. Now there are many names for God and Corey talked about some of those last week. Uh, we may have heard how God is named Almighty or how God sometimes is called the Creator. And that's great. All those things are true. He obviously is almighty and he obviously is the creator. But for example, if we called God just the creator, it would mean that he could only be God if he created something, right? So therefore, he would only be, he'd be dependent on his creation to be himself if he was only creator. So we know we can't just stop there with a name like creator. He's God the Father. Now, immediately when I say father, chances are you're thinking of your earthly father or fatherly examples in your life. And I get that. It's fine. Of course, it's fine to think about your father or fatherly examples. But we need to be careful there. God is the father, and he's not called father because he copies earthly fathers. But rather, as Reeves talks about in his book, things are the other way around. It is that all human fathers are supposed to reflect him. Some do that well, although never perfect. And unfortunately, we know there are a lot of fathers out there that don't reflect God at all. The good news is this father is perfect. He's the initiator. He directs. He constantly pours out love like water flowing from a fountain, and he never ceases to do this. God is love. In a way, God could not not love. Do you get what I'm saying? He is love. It's constantly pouring out. If he didn't love, he wouldn't be father. He's been doing it for all eternity, and we know this because he's been pouring out his love this entire time to his son. 
And so we have the Father, and let's talk about the Son. It's really important why the Son then has been eternal this entire time. Why God as a whole has been eternal this entire time. The Son is eternal. There was never a time the Son did not exist because if there was a time, that would mean there was once upon a time when the Father was not yet a father, right? You have to have a son to be a father. And if that's the case, then once upon a time, God was not loving. Since all by himself, he would have nobody to love, right? A singular God is not love to his central being because there's, there's no one to love. Jesus himself says in John 17, 24, he says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus affirms God the Father has been loving God the Son since before the foundation of the world. It's been happening for all eternity because God is eternal. So let's talk about the Spirit. We're talking about Father, the Son, and Spirit. The Spirit stirs up the delight of the Father and the Son and the delight of the Son and the Father. He stirs up their love for one another and binds them together, which in 2 Corinthians 13, 14 says, in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Okay, the Spirit is the one through whom the Father loves, blesses, and empowers His Son. The Son goes out from the Father by the Spirit. That's why Jesus is known as the Anointed One. It's the Messiah in Hebrew and the Christ in Greek because he's anointed with the Spirit. Okay, God declares his love for the Son. Even we see this when Jesus was baptized and how so. He does it as the Spirit comes down and rests on Jesus. For the way the Father makes known his love is through giving the Spirit. In Romans 5.5, 5, Paul writes about how God pours his love into the hearts into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. It's through God the Father giving His Son the Spirit that He declares His love. Okay, so stick with me here. A few references here for the Holy Spirit. It says the Holy Spirit, that He is a person who speaks and sends in Acts 13, 2 and 4. He chooses in Acts 20, 28. He teaches in John 14, 26. He gives in Isaiah 63, 14. He can be lied to and tested in Acts 5, 3, and 9. He can be resisted in Acts 7, 51. He can be grieved in Isaiah 63, 10 and Ephesians 4, 30. And he can be blasphemed in Matthew 12, 31. The Spirit is presented alongside the Father and the Son as a real person all the time. So God is three persons. Each person is fully God, and there is one God. You have, for all eternity, God the Father pouring out His love for the Son, and all of this taking place through the Spirit. So, that's a lot. That's a lot right there about the Trinity, right? About the roles. And so, we're kind of defining a little bit about what the Trinity is. But then, when you kind of get to this point, it's a matter of, okay, why, why is this important? Like, why does this really matter at the end of the day? Does it really change in my walk with the Lord? Does it change about the message of salvation? How does it come together? 
And, uh, you know, do I even need to think, okay, God's a triune God. Why does this matter at all? Well, you got to think about it this way. If God wasn't personal, then he also wouldn't be merciful. Because as we know, things, things can't love or show mercy, right? So if God was just a singular God, loving others wouldn't be central to his being, which means the only type of God who is inclined to love and show mercy is a father who has eternally loved his son by the Spirit this whole time. It's always been central to his being. There is no other God like this out there. You can look at every belief, any type of religion, types of gods, I mean, millions of types of gods that people claim to believe out there. We say that every belief is about what you have to do to earn salvation. But then Christianity is the only belief where salvation has been earned for you. And that's true. But on top of that, God, the one we worship, the God of the Bible, is the only God who has existed for all eternity as Father, Son, and Spirit. He's the only God that has a history of always being a loving God. There's truly no other God like Him. So, it's why it's important. It's a big deal that God has for eternity always been loving. He's always been pouring out His love for the Son. So let's bring this together in two ways that I think it kind of applies to us, okay? We're going to talk about creation and redemption, okay? So creation. Why did God even create the world, right? Did he, why did he create us? Did he need us? Was it kind of like some fun experiment to see like what would happen if I made these little humans? We see in the Bible that God never had, never had to create us, but rather he wanted to create us. See, God the Father pours out his love, like we've been saying, through, think of it like water overflowing from a fountain. And he continues to do that all the time for his son. Remember, he's a father. He's loving his son. We learn in the Bible that this same God delights and expressing this love for his son so much so that it would be enjoyed by others, that it would actually be shared, right? He's a loving father that's continuously outpouring his love. Creation is about the extension of this love. Romans 8.29 says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. See, God doesn't begrudge sharing his love because, in fact, he's, he's just always enjoyed pouring out his love for his son. And in creation, he pours it out to his children through his son. Right? The key word, he might be the firstborn among many brothers. We see right away in the beginning in Genesis 1, God pouring out his love while he's creating and in verse 26, the Bible says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, right? So who's let us make man in our image, in our likeness, us in our, these plural words, they're not singular. We see the Trinity reference right there at the very beginning of creation, the Father, Son, and Spirit did all of this. Grudem in his book, he talks about this and says, God the Father spoke the creative words to bring the universe into being. 
but it was God the Son, the eternal Word of God, who carried out these creative decrees. Right? We see in John 1.3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And then in Colossians 1.16, it says, In him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And at the same time, the Holy Spirit was active in, the, in a different way in moving or hovering over the face of the waters. In Genesis 1-2, you can see that. He's sustaining and manifesting God's presence in his creation in Psalm 33-6, in Psalm 139-7. Right? We were made in the image of God. We were created to delight in this relationship, to love God and to love others. That's why it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. He needed another. He needed community, right? Jesus says the first and greatest commandment in the law is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with your soul and with your mind. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself in Matthew 22, 36 through 39. That is what we were created for. The love of God and the love of others that Adam and Eve were called to enter into it would represent God because he would, we would perfectly love God and love others. It would represent that relationship. But most of us know what happened in Genesis 3. Sin entered the world. The moment Adam and Eve sinned, it was because they took their eyes off of God. Right? Instead of responding to God's love towards them by loving God back, they decided to love themselves. And everything changed after that. Everything became broken. And this perfect creation was now introduced to sin and death. We as sinful human beings, we can't enter into a relationship with God who is perfect. Corey talked about this last week. We can't do that on our own because sin and holiness, they, they, they can't be together, right? Something has to happen for this to this relationship to take place, right? This, this isn't going to happen on its own. This is where redemption comes in. The Trinity is all over the work of redemption. And so I'm going to give you multiple references here again. So you can write these down or pause this or check out the worship guide and you'll be able to uh, keep all that. Grudem helps break this down in a really simple way too. So in terms of redemption, so think of it this way. God the Father planned redemption and he sent his son into the world in John 3:16, Galatians 4:4, 4, 4, Ephesians 1, 9 through 10. The son obeyed the father and accomplished redemption for us. Right in John 6:38 it says, "For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me." God the Father did not come and die for our sins, nor did God the Holy Spirit. Right? That was the work of the son who is Jesus. Jesus paid the penalty for all of our past, present, and future sins, and he offers us the free gift of salvation for anyone who chooses to believe in him and follow him for the rest of their lives. After this, Jesus ascended into heaven, and then the Holy Spirit was sent by the Father and the Son to apply redemption to us. Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, in John 14, 26, but also says that 
he himself will send the Holy Spirit. For he says, if I go, I will send him to you. John 16, 7. And he speaks of a time when the counselor comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth. In John 15, 26. Okay? The role of the Holy Spirit is to give us new spiritual life out of John 3, 5 through 8. To sanctify us in Romans 8, 13, 15, 16, and 1 Peter 1, 2. And to empower us for service in Acts 1, 8 and 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 11. Right? The role of the Holy Spirit to give us new spiritual life. To sanctify us and to empower us for service. The work of the Holy Spirit brings to completion the work that has been planned by God the Father and begun by the Son. Does that make sense? I'm going to repeat this one more time. The work of the Holy Spirit, it brings to completion the work that has been planned by God the Father and begun by God the Son. So you can see how these different roles are taking place. You can see the role of the Father in creation and redemption. His role is to plan and direct and send the Son and the Spirit. It shows that the Father and the Son relate to one another, just like a father and a son would relate to one another in a human family, right? The Father directs and has authority over the Son, and then the Son obeys and is responsive to the directions of the Father. Well, hopefully the Son obeys. We know in this case the Son obeys, but typical human family, the Son may not always obey. And then the Holy Spirit is obedient to both the Father and the Son. It's really a beautiful picture. If you can take a minute and wrap your mind around this, it's a beautiful picture of how this works together. God has three persons. Each person is fully God, and there is one God. So we're kind of talking about what is the Trinity? Why is the Trinity important? So then what does it mean for us? How does this actually apply to us? Uh, whether we follow Jesus or not, what, what does this mean for you, for you and for me? J.I. Packer uh, once wrote, If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means he does not understand Christianity very well at all. And I, I get it. I, I understand how easy it is to find yourself kind of confused at times of how God is the, the Trinity, right? We don't always talk about the Trinity in our everyday lives. How can God be three persons in each person being fully God? But then there's one God? Like, I get it. It can be confusing. But we miss such a big piece of Christianity by thinking we can just move on from something like this, by thinking it doesn't have application to our daily lives and our daily walk with the Lord. We can't just move on. We have to see how much greater this makes God and how much more we can know God because of the Trinity. We naturally, I'm sure you've experienced this, uh, we naturally just get inwardly focused, right? We start thinking about ourselves and we can see through the work of creation and redemption and everything that God is and what we're talking about this morning, he's anything but inward focused, this is not an inward singular God. This is an outward focused triune God. And so that being said, we've got to take our eyes off of ourselves. That the Holy Spirit can help us turn our eyes away from ourselves and we can look to Jesus 
and therefore look to God the Father. But we have to remember, we've got to remember this. We have a real enemy, Satan, whose job is the exact opposite. His goal is to get us to just look at ourselves, to be inwardly focused all day long. And here's the deal. And this is, this is the hard part. We're never going to find happiness. We're not going to find joy. We're never going to find satisfaction by just us looking at our own prayers, our own works, and just our own feelings. We're never going to find that in this life when we're just focused on ourselves. It's not going to happen. It's who Jesus is, not who we are, that will give us rest. It's who Jesus is, not who we are, that will give us peace. And it's who Jesus is, not who we are, that will ultimately give us life. We really can experience life in Jesus. It's what we mean by life in Jesus. It's going to be because of Jesus, not because of ourselves. But we'll never see Jesus if we're looking down here. We have to look up towards Jesus. I found something this week in Luke 15.10 that... I've never noticed before, this is the beauty of God's word, that you'll always find more of God, even if you've read and even if you've quoted the same thing over and over again for years, there's always more to be found. You've probably thought about this or heard of this before. We typically celebrate something like this when someone becomes a follower of Jesus. So Luke 15, 10, it says, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Right, we talk about this, the angels are having a party and they're celebrating. And uh, yeah, I mean, sure, they, they probably are. You know, there's a, there's a rave happening. You know, maybe not a rave. That's a wrong choice. Yeah, they're partying. But here, here's the deal. We miss a really key element here, or at least I'll admit, I missed a really key element in this passage. Who's actually the one celebrating here in Luke 15.10? Who's before the angels, right? Who's celebrating over one sinner who repents? It's not the angels here in this context who are celebrating. Who is it? It's God. That's how much he loves us. Those are the attributes of God the Father. God the Father is celebrating. That to me, completely changes that verse. It makes God so much bigger for me personally. God is the one who's that personal and that involved in our lives. He is the one who's celebrating because God is love. When we read the Bible, Christ is the subject of all the scriptures who points us to the Father. Reeves talks about this in his book, and I'm going to quote this here. You can see this on the screen because I think it's just excellent. He says, He is the Word, the Lord, the Son who reveals His Father, the promised hope, the true temple, the true sacrifice, the great high priest, the ultimate king. You can read, not so much asking, what does this mean for me right now? But what do I learn here of Christ Knowing that the Bible is about him and not me means that instead of reading the Bible obsessing about me, I can gaze on him. 
And as through the pages you get caught up in the wonder of his story, you find your heart strangely pounding for him in a way you never would have if you had treated the Bible as a book about you. You see, we don't have to question our value or our purpose. We don't have to worry or be afraid in this life. We really don't. Our circumstances will always be changing and trials will come and go. We're seeing that now, obviously, with what's going on around the world. The best thing we can do is take our eyes off of ourselves and put them on Christ. Because when we think of who the Son is, He is the one eternally loved by His Father. The Father's never going to renounce His love for the Son. And the Son comes to share that as the Father wanted. He came to share that with us. Because Jesus in Hebrews 2.11, He's not ashamed to call us brothers. His Father in Hebrews 11.16 is not ashamed to be known as our Father. With that, nothing could give us greater confidence and delight in approaching God. How great is the love of the Father that we should be called children of God through Jesus by the Spirit. God is three persons. Each person is fully God, and there is one God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us so well. Thank you that you are a God of love that you constantly pour out your love to the Son and therefore us who've entered into that relationship with you. That you've adopted us as children. That we're adopted into this family that you love us in a way that is just frankly at times hard to understand. But nevertheless, you don't change. Your character doesn't change. And Father, we're so thankful. We're so grateful. Would you increase our gratefulness for you this morning? Jesus, thank you that you've made a way for us. Thank you that you paid the penalty for our sins. That you paid the price for us. That you actually died for us. You took upon our consequences on yourself. And that you rose again from the dead. Jesus, we're so thankful that you are the head of the church. And as the head of the church, you constantly pour out your love towards us. Thank you for modeling that for us, where we can love you and love others. We can freely pour out love towards others, not expecting anything in response because you, you've loved us so well. And it's not about people's responses. It's about glorifying you. Holy Spirit, thank you for continuing to illuminate our hearts and our minds to your word and applying it to our lives. And I ask you would help Austin Life, anyone who's watching, anyone who's listening, bring change upon all of our lives this morning. Make us more like you this morning. Let us delight in the work of the Trinity and the fact that, God, you are a triune God, and that is an amazing thing for us. And that has huge implications for our lives today. You never stop loving us. We don't have to question your love for us. We don't have to question the value and purpose we have in this life. We can walk in confidence 
to love you and to love others. So thank you, God, for this time. Right now, as we're sitting here praying, why don't you just take a minute and just respond to whatever it is the Lord is leading you to in this moment. God, we love you. We praise you. To you be all the honor and the glory. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.